There's no American wines made that meet our standards of purity and health. Europe requires, as a matter of law, mycotoxin testing, including ochratoxin A, on all wines. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 174 of the Biohacker Babes. I'm Renee and I'm tuning in with my sister Lauren. What's Hello, up? Hello everyone. Hi. Happy holidays. Woo-hoo. Oh. <laughs> Cheers. Cling cling. <laughs> yeah. This is the perfect episode for right between Thanksgiving and all the other holidays coming up. We are going to be talking about one of our favorite biohacks, wine. Oh. Oh, cleaner wine, natural wine. So we had the pleasure of chatting with Todd White today, who if you have been listening to our podcast for a while, you may remember we had him on in 2020. So it's been two years now, but all about the dirty secrets of the wine industry. That's what we talked about last time. And we wanted to bring him back on today because we think it's such an important topic. You know, if you are drinking wine and you are conscious about your health, which I'm assuming you are because you're listening to the podcast, then I think this is something you need to know about. There is a healthier option out there if you want to drink wine, and that's where dry farm wines come in. And Lauren and I have been drinking it for, gosh, I don't know, maybe five years now, and we Mm -hmm. both feel such a difference. And I know it's tricky with biohacks, right? You're like, I don't know if I feel a difference with this or that, but this wine, we feel an immediate difference. Like I can't even drink regular wine anymore. It's like instant fatigue, headache, sore throat, poor quality sleep. It's just like bad news bears all around for that. So I'm really grateful that Dry Farm Wines exists and we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty on that today. Yeah. I'm not even sure that I was so aware that wine was making me feel that way until I experienced Dry Farm. I think I, you know, whatever I was feeling and just thought was normal. Maybe I didn't attribute it to the wine. It's also like, you don't know how good you can feel until you go there, until you like really clean up your diet. And yes, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you're in that category. So if you haven't experienced natural wines or dry farms, it really is like you have to experience it for yourself because there's just such a night and day difference. I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone that has not felt that stark contrast. And yeah, I'm the same. I can't drink anything that's commercial and if I do, if I'm at a restaurant, I'm really specific. Like I won't drink anything that's American. And it's funny that Todd said the same thing today on the podcast. I'm really picky. I'm a little bit of a wine snob for a reason because I don't want to feel bad. And yeah. I definitely will sneak dry farm into restaurants. I've snuck it into bars and, you know, I'm not trying to cheat any bar out of you know, a payment for a a beverage, but like, it's just not worth it to me. I want to socialize, but I don't want to feel like shit the next day. And now knowing how good I can feel with dry farm, sorry, there's no going back. So it's funny because we've been out at restaurants together and if we're in the mood for wine and there's only one non-American wine on the menu, we know that what we're both getting. 
Oh, it actually yeah. makes it a lot easier. I'm just like, well, yeah. only one option. That's what I'm drinking. Yep. None of the California crap. <laughs> yeah. So Todd really elucidates why this is the, the case. Why are you feeling it so presently? And he's going to explain dry farm, but we just want to give you a little bit of an introduction because he, he's so lovely. He can talk for hours and hours and hours, and we actually didn't have to guide or interview him much because he just has so much to say about the wine industry. So I think you'll find that fascinating. But we just want to give you a little intro on dry farm, the company, they have very, very high standards. They lab test all of their wines for purity. So molds, mycotoxins, all of the additives that are in typical American commercial wines not here. Zero sugar, low in sulfites, which he will explain. Sulfites are not all bad. And so they're grown on small family farms, not irrigated. So they're not watered like typical commercial wines, which one is going to reduce the risk of contamination from molds, mycotoxins, but it also saves billions of gallons of water a year. So it's not only healthier for us, but it's healthier for the planet. So for those of you that also are Concerned with the health of our environment, here you go. Um, lots of reasons to support this company. Yeah, and I would just add to that list, you know, these wines are friendly if you are low-carb, you're paleo, you're ketogenic, you're on a low-sugar diet. And this was something new I learned today, vegan. If you're a vegan or vegetarian, you might want to be checking what wine you're drinking. It's crazy. I He'll share that. I could not believe that, what he said about the ingredients and wines. Definitely stay tuned for that. Terrible. Just kitchen sink of nasty. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's share a little bit more about Todd before we bring him on. As the founder of Dry Farm Wines, a writer, speaker, and a leader in the organic natural wine movement, Todd White has widely educated communities on conscious consumption. Todd is a self-described biohacker who practices daily meditation, Wim Hof breathing, cold thermogenesis, a ketogenic diet, and daily 22-hour intermittent fasting. He is also a frequent speaker on topics including meditation and the Dry Farm Wines' unique company culture. Built on a foundation of honesty and peace, Dry Farm Wines has seen remarkable growth, making it one of the fastest-growing private companies in the U.S. without any debt or investors. Amazing company, amazing mission, and we're just so grateful to bring Todd on, especially as we're bringing in the holidays. Um, I know they're going to be bringing out special like holiday boxes, so if you need a gift idea or something to bring to a party where you know you may mm. want to be drinking, this is like the perfect solution for that. Or gift yourself, honestly. Like, <laughs> just go for it. If if you are interested in trying Dry Farm, of course, there will be a link in the show notes. You can scroll down and click that. They do offer your first bottle for a penny. Yes, true. Um, the way it works is it's a subscription. So you sign up for a monthly, but you can cancel or pause at any time, which I kind of love because I travel a lot. I'm not always home. Um, also, uh, just maybe don't drink that much, but... <laughs> Great. Yeah. Like Renee said, great for parties, great to have for the holidays. So you can order all reds or all whites, or you can split it in half. And again, you can pause it at any time. So you don't have to worry about paying for this monthly subscription. You can really make it work for you, which I love. Yeah. And the sparkling ones too now is another yeah. option. Lots yeah, of all options. kinds of stuff. Sparkling, they got orange wines, but seasonal. So, oh, one last thing. We're going to make this intro not as long as the podcast, but they are seasonal. And because of their high testing requirements. You don't always have a choice over what kind of grape you're going to get, what kind of wine. They're going to send you what they have. So it's a little bit of um, 
just fun play. You like get to just try what they have and what they're offering at the moment. You can't just go in and say like, oh, I want a Cabernet. Oh, I want X, Y, Z. So yeah, um, just know that when you are trying them. But it makes it more fun because you get the box and you get to look at all the different labels. And mm-hmm. if you try a wine and don't like it, tell them they will replace it. That's pretty I amazing. I didn't know that. I've, so I've never, I've never needed to wine. do that. <laughs> yeah, never yeah. needed to do that. All right, let's go ahead and bring Todd on. All right, welcome back, Todd, to the Biohacker Babes. Thanks for joining us again. Super excited to be here. Lots to talk about since we met last. Yes, yes we figured in, in two years, probably a lot has happened and maybe the wine industry, maybe behind dry farm wine. So we're going to definitely get into all of that. For anyone that missed our episode two years ago, we did uncover a lot of the dirty secrets of the wine industry, but it sounds like we have even more to learn about today. So we definitely want to chat about that. And this is such an important topic because I think all three of us would agree. We still want to enjoy our wine. And so it's, how do we do that and keep it in a healthy, balanced way? And this is the solution. So as we roll into the holidays, what a wonderful topic to talk about. So we're grateful to have you back. So Todd, to kick us off, why do you love wine so much? Why is this such a great part of the human experience? This is, this is like an amazing part of what makes wine so beautiful. So I've been drinking wine my entire adult life. In fact, I first tasted wine when I was nine years old. And I've been a wine aficionado forever. I love drinking wine. I drink wine every single day, except when I'm on an extended water fast. So I do extended water fasting about once every six weeks or so for three to five days. That's the only time I don't drink wine. Every other day, I drink wine. I love wine. I drink a lot of wine. Wine creates community. Wine creates access. You know, wine opens the soul to for sharing. Wine creates love. I mean, there's there's just many, many things that natural, that this, you know, unspoiled natural wine is just this, look, wine has been a part of our culture for 9,000 years. It's been at the cornerstone of all of our cultural institutions, from religion to the arts to all forms of cultural milestones that wine has been there continues to be there even for religion today and so you know i think wine's just an incredible thing that and something i derive a great deal of pleasure from in the taste and the ritual of it and getting that warm wine buzz and that sense of euphoria which i also love getting high but let me say this and this probably surprises people the most to hear me say this let me be perfectly clear. Alcohol is a dangerous neurotoxin. It kills millions. Of, it ruins millions of lives a year. Some people shouldn't drink at all. And if you don't drink today, I'm not recommending that you begin. Furthermore, I would go on to say that it's possible that my path of wellness might be better served if I didn't drink at all. I don't know. I'm not going to find that out because I'm going to continue to drink wine. <laughs> so, but I just want to. I, I just want to be you know, clear on the record and surprises people. I thought this guy's the wine guy who's here to sell wine. I'm not here to sell wine. What I'm here to do is educate you about how to think about conscious drinking if you decide you want to drink. And so for me, I am definitely going to drink. Now, I don't drink anything but wine. I don't drink anything but low alcohol, natural wine. We can talk about why. But let's be clear. It's not for everyone. And it's not a great idea for everyone. But for those people who decide that they want to drink and are going to drink, 
My goal is to help them think more consciously about how to do that. Mm. Absolutely. I think that's so important. I think the three of us definitely agree. I I think it's important to highlight that it is a neurotoxin. I always think about Professor David Nutt's image. Have you seen that graphic where it lays out all of the substances? At the very top is alcohol. So it's comparing harm to the person that drinks and to others. And alcohol is by far the most harmful. And at the very bottom, it's mushrooms, LSD. But alcohol is totally legal. People across the world abuse it all the time. But I do think it's important. I love that you brought up the love and the community and the social aspect. I think about that when I watch like Game of Thrones, House of Dragons. Like it's been a part of human culture for so long. Of course, there's are historical people like, in origin. You know, it, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Let's just to be thoughtful about it. And yeah. listen, I'm occasionally overserved. It's an occupational hazard of being in the wine business. I'm sure. You know, so I don't make any apologies <laughs> for getting drunk, but but I'm kind of like one of those happy drunks, right? So I'm I'm like I'm just a lover. You know, alcohol is a lot like money. So alcohol <laughs> just us. amplifies whoever you already are, right? Mm, so if you're an asshole, yes. you just become a bigger asshole, right? And <laughs> totally magnification. You know, like my brother's an asshole, right? And when he drinks, he just becomes belligerent, becomes a bigger asshole, right? So it's just like. Yeah. You know, people who are lovers are funny. People who are funny just become funnier when they drink, right? So it's just like this kind of thing where alcohol, money does the same thing to people. You know, it just amplifies whoever you already are. If you're a bad actor, you just become a worse actor, right? I mean, if you're generous okay. and loving and philanthropic, you just become more generous, right? So yeah, well this, said. The, the, these things are just amplify the underlying state of who we already are. And yeah. I was just a funny kind of lover. And so when I drink, I just become more loving and more funny. Right. And so that's just, which I think <laughs> is, more. Which I think is <laughs> yeah. a good thing. What's wrong with that? Yeah. I feel like I'm the same way. I, I'm sure you are. I could tell from looking at you. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. And, but, and I, that was the hardest thing is I think, especially as I aged, I know, noticed more and more when I drank wine, like conventional wine, I, immediately feel tired. I get a headache. I sleep like crap. And so it was like, well, what do I do? I just got to stop drinking wine. Well, no. Then I, you know, discovered dry farm wines three, four, five years ago, whatever. And I don't feel that way. So I still get all the happiness and the laughter and the community, but then I don't have to suffer. I mean, like you even said, maybe my HRV would be higher. Maybe my sleep would be a little bit better yeah. if I didn't drink maybe any your aura alcohol. Ring would tell you you slept a little bit better. But, but I don't. You know what? I'm not you missed find out. out on all that fun. Yes, so, <laughs> all so the memories. Forget about it and the enjoyment yeah. of pure, beautiful, natural wine. Well, let's talk about why you feel bad. Here's Great. the deal, and this is part from. We talked about some of this in the first episode. What we call the dirty, dark secrets of the wine business. You know, there's 76 additives approved for the use in winemaking legally approved for the use of winemaking, not by anybody particularly important. It's uh, These additives are approved by the Trade and Tax Bureau, which is the federal agency that has oversight over alcohol labeling. Now, let's just talk about how confusing all this is for a moment. So most of these rules and regulations and laws were written post-prohibition in the early 1940s. So the they're crazy outdated. They don't make any sense. They are hodgepodge put together across. So here's the deal. The TTB, which used to be called the ATF before Waco, 
Remember Waco? They went down and burned down this guy's house, and then they changed the name from the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Bureau to the Trade and Tax Bureau to make it a little softer, right? Mm. So the TTB Mm. is the federal agency that oversees the labeling of wine. Now, they don't oversee much else to do with it because in each state, they also have an alcohol department. So each state is regulated at the state level. And in some states, even at the county level. So you have this myriad of regulations, some which match, some which make sense, some which don't make any sense. But one thing is clear, the government and the wine industry are in bed together. And they make for strange bedfellows, right? (laughs) Now, Washington, D.C., I think is a beautiful town. It has some redeeming architecture. Uh-huh. But the bedmates that find themselves together in Washington, not so much the kind of sausage they make over on K Street, which is all the lobbying firms. So this is sort of how business is done in Washington is that legislation is exchanged for money, right? And legislation is crafted in this exchange of power and influence. This is just how it works. And it works that way for every industry, right? It's not special to the wine industry, but Let me give you an example. We were talking about this just before we came on. 19 years ago, a 16-page petition was filed with the TTB requesting from a whole bunch of scientists and important health thinkers and thought leaders in Washington from a group called the Center for Science and Public Interest. It's a nonprofit in Washington. They filed a 16-page petition outlining very specific requests for the transparency and labeling of alcohol products, including wine, for ingredients and nutritional information and then blah, 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 a whole bunch of 16-page petition. That petition set stale, unanswered, for 19 years. And two weeks ago, this nonprofit filed a lawsuit against the Treasury Department over it. Now, that will not get us transparency and labeling because... This nonprofit, which has a $14 million annual budget, can't stand up against the Goliath of K Street and the lobby powers that the alcohol industry employs, you know, at the tune of tens of millions of dollars a year. So we won't get transparency and ingredient labeling in wine, but if we did, here's what it would tell you, the dirty, dark secret of the wine industry. There's 76 legally approved additives by the TTB. Now, I don't know why the TTB is specially employed to make decisions about what goes in your wine. But here's what they do do is they keep it secret because there's no contents labeling on a bottle of wine. That's not an accident. The wine industry spent millions of dollars in lobby money to keep contents labeling off. Why? I'll tell you why. Let me describe these 76 additives. Some of them are natural in fairness. Two of them are acute toxins classified by the National Institute of Health which also happens to be a government agency. So it's kind of interesting that you've got one agency saying one thing, you've got another agency. I'm going to go with the National Health Institute as opposed to the TTB. So the NIH calls two of them acute toxins. Acute toxins have a very specific clinical definition. Acute toxin means that you will suffer severe health reactions or death with a single dose or multiple doses within 24 hours. That's the clinical definition of of an acute toxin. So two of these additives are acute toxins. 
One of them is the most dangerous toxin in the arsenal. is called dimethyl dicarbonate. It's used to sterilize wine and treat it from the single most common bacterial fault that occurs in wine called Brettanomyces. So this chemical, dimethyl dicarbonate, which is highly toxic, uh, has to be applied to the wine from technicians in hazmat suits. And if you mm. drank the wine within 24 hours of treatment, you could die. Oh, wow. Now, nine of these additives are, cons- are classified by the NIH as corrosive, like drain cleaner, you know? Mm. 34 are classified by the NIH as an irritant, who are flammable. 12 are specifically noted by the NIH as a health hazard. Three are made from six animal organs, including cow liver, cow stomach, pig pancreas, and fish bladder. So if you care about animals, you don't want to be drinking those products either. Interesting. I don't know that your average vegan knows about that. Two of them. Well, there's more animal products than just the organs. There's also milk and egg whites. I left cow liver and pig stomach off. But so so in total, you've got eight, but six of them are animal organ derivatives. From so we're here to harvest grapes. We don't harvest organs from pigs. Uh, thank you. (laughs) So Hey, biohackers, did you know the use of silver actually has a long history and has been used by many ancient civilizations as a means to not only maintain health, but to preserve food and beverages? Before the mainstream discovery and acceptance of antibiotics in the early 1900s, silver was used in hospitals and is actually still used today. Silver has generally gotten a really bad reputation. Maybe you've heard the scary claims from the blue man that took too much silver, Well, quantity and especially quality really matter here. So most silver supplementation on the market is ionic silver, and it is unsafe for the body if used in high quantities. This is why we really love silver soul technology. It's not ionic, and it's a true colloidal silver, which is a nanoparticle coated by a silver oxide. What you really need to remember is that it's more effective, more efficient at lower parts per million. Silver Soul technology is 10 to 33 parts per million, where other companies have up to 3,000 parts per million. The takeaway, more is not better. Yeah, and Silver Biotics actually has a range of products, but we especially love their immune-specific line. The Silver Soul technology has a natural way of targeting invaders without the side effects. This uses multiple modes of action on how it actually targets invaders, and it uses the natural elements to kind of trick the body, so to speak, and then it kickstarts the immune system. Yes, I love these natural defenses. So it actually came to the rescue to me the other day. I was feeling a little run down and at the end of my luteal phase. So for my ladies, that is when we are the most vulnerable. So I took a few doses, and a day later, I was feeling pretty brand new. I was just so grateful that I had this stuff on hand. And guess what? I'm still not blue. I can confirm that she is not blue. (laughs) And either am I, and I've had a similar experience. It really kind of saved the day for me. And on top of the immune line, we have some other products from them that we love. Their skincare, like their healing skin cream, the anti-aging facial serum, and then their oral care. The whitening toothpaste is amazing. I call myself a toothpaste snob. I have tried all the natural ones. And usually when they're really clean toothpaste, they don't work well, but this one is incredible. You know what? I think my teeth are turning blue. What do you think? 
<laughs> That's what the whitening toothpaste is for. No. Actually, I love the toothpaste too. We get sent a lot of different brands of toothpaste to try. And I have to say, I'm never usually a fan, but this one is a clear winner in my book. I'm definitely going to continue it. And to wrap things up, they also have the wound care product and they have pet care products for all the animal lovers out there like Lauren and I. Meow. <laughs> Surprised you didn't woof. Woof. <laughs> So if you want to check out the products from Silver Biotics, you can head over to silverbiotics.com and make sure you use discount code biohackerbabes at checkout to save some money. We will put the link to their website and the discount code in the show notes for today's episode. All right, let's get back to the show. Two of them contain mycotoxins and one of them contains the dreaded ochratoxin A, which is a very specific uh, mycotoxin that... You might remember Dave Asprey got a lot of fame for mold-free coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, in Europe, this is interesting. You know, we don't sell American wine. There's no American wines made that meet our standards of purity and health. Europe requires, as a matter of law, mycotoxin testing, including ochratoxin A, on all wines. The U.S. does not require that test, and U.S. wines are not tested for it. Now, the standards for mycotoxin in wine are quite stringent. The standard is measured in parts per billion. In coffee, in the EU, you are allowed, coffee is also not lab-tested here for for mycotoxins, not required to be tested. It is required in the EU. So, In the EU, the standard for mycotoxins is 10 parts per billion. But for wine, it's even more stringent. You can't have more than two parts per billion in wine. So the standard for wine is even more stringent than for coffee in the EU. All of our wines, because they come from the EU, or most of them come from the EU, or from countries that also require mycotoxins testing. So all of our wines are tested for it. But when you drink a U.S. wine, it is not tested for it. The test is pretty expensive, and nobody does it in the U.S. The only test for what is exactly required for them to test for. So these additives are to have a pretty nasty story. Now, the wine industry's response to that is that, well, you know, these additives are used in such small amounts that they're not harmful to you. My reply to that is, I don't want to drink them in any amount. And I'm not sure who it is that decides that they're harmful or not harmful in what amount. The FDA has has made some rulings on some of these additives in what's called generally regarded as safe. That Mm -hmm. That is an official FDA term. But my point is... Whether or not I, I know how I feel when I drink commercial wine is very different than I feel when I drink an additive free natural wine. Yes. And so the thing is, I can't tell you because we don't have the science or the studies to know which of these toxins or the combination of them are causing you to feel bad. Most people think this is just how you feel when you drink wine. It's not really how you feel when you drink pure natural wine. Mm-hmm. Right. And so so there's no, I can't tell you that, well, if you skip the dimethyl dicarbonate or the ammonia phosphate or the copper sulfate, or, you know, if you skip any of these additives, you're going to feel better. Well, first of all, you wouldn't know whether they're in your wine or not because there's no contents labeling on it. Number two, 
I can't tell you which ones are harmful or not harmful to you or making you feel bad or not making you feel bad. There's no research to support that. What I can tell you and what you can tell me is that when you drink pure natural wine, you feel better, right? And you don't have the same adverse reactions you have to these commercial wines that may or may not contain who knows what. Because we don't know what's in them because they don't have a contents label because they don't want you to see what's in it. So most wines are like processed foods. They'd have a big label on it with a whole bunch of names and stuff. You had no idea what was in it. Now, I don't eat those kinds of foods. I don't eat packaged yeah, either. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> and so yeah. now, invariably, look, we live in the real world. Let's talk real talk. Invariably, you know, we're going to all come in contact with environmental toxins. We're going to come in contact with toxic substances all the time. But I want to minimize that, especially for something I drink every day, right? So real talk is none of us are living a pure life. And I don't care to what extent that you pursue the purity of what you put in your body, you're going to still be exposed to some toxins. But here's the deal. I don't want to drink them if I don't have to, right? And I want to feel better, not only about how I'm treating the planet with organic farming and regenerative soil health. Not, I want to feel better about saving the planet by not using irrigation. The name of our company is Dry Farm Wines. We don't allow the use of irrigation in the, in the farms we work with saves over a billion gallons of water a year. So I want to feel better about that. And I'm going to feel better about, um, uh, about saving the planet and doing the best I can to control what goes in my body. Yeah. Right. And yeah. every time we eat out, we, we, I don't care where you eat. Every time you eat out, you lose control of the exact knowledge of what you're putting in your body. I eat out all the time. But that's a rea- But I'm also taking my own wine or I'm also drinking natural wine when I'm out. So I'm just going to take the opportunity. Don't want to get up on the soapbox and say that, oh, you know, I, you know, I'm living this pure life. That's not true. But what is true is I want to drink wine that tastes better and makes me feel better because I drink it every day. Right. And here are the reasons why. So how do we get here? Let me just round this around. How do we get here? We got here like everything else that's scaled in a negative way. Generally speaking, in the United States, we got here over money and greed. And so what happened in the wine industry is exactly what happened in the food industry, which is fueled by cheap public money from Wall Street. You had a handful of companies and private equity groups that went out and rolled up the wine industry. What's that mean? Rolled up the industry is a, it's an investment term. It means that you go out and you consolidate the industry into some big companies. And then those big companies have scale. They can make stuff cheaper and faster. They have distribution channels to get it out cheaper and faster. And so the whole focus in the consolidated wine industry, and I'll tell you about that in a moment, is not to make wine that's better for you or even to make better wine. It's to make wine faster and cheaper in these gigantic factories in Central California. So everything I've told you, everything I'm about to tell you, you can verify with a Google search. This is not my opinion or some marketing spin from Todd. This is like, you can go to Google and you can search this and you can see for yourself. Everything, FDA approved additives, NIH toxins, size of the wine industry, the players in it. For example, the top three wine companies make over 52% of U.S. wines, and the top 30 wine companies in the United States 
make over 70% of U.S. wines. So when you walk in the grocery store where somebody has paid to buy shelf space, maybe it's end cap, maybe it's at eye level, all that shelf space is for sale too all over the grocery store, pay to play. When you look at rows and rows of wine, hundreds or thousands of bottles, most of these wines are made by just a handful of companies. Now, they don't want you to know that. So they hide behind thousands of brands and labels to confuse you, right? And take away our choice. And, whoa, that's another one. The three-tier system, how alcohol is distributed in the States, must come into a distributor who then sells to a wholesaler, who then sells to a retailer, who then sells to you. It's called the three-tier system. It's federally mandated. Hey, biohackers, we just have a quick interruption in today's episode to tell you about something that is a game changer when it comes to blue light. So, you know, we talk about blue light exposure a lot on the podcast and how we really want to be getting outdoors, getting that natural blue light exposure, especially first thing in the morning, right? That's going to help get us energized and focused and increase our natural rise in cortisol for the day. But unfortunately, a lot of us are sitting inside on computers and tablets and phones and TVs, right? And we're getting all this artificial blue light, which is very damaging to our overall health, but especially for our eye health. We don't want to be straining our eyes all day with this blue light exposure because it can cause long-term damage to our eyes, but also like that eye strain, maybe you've experienced headaches or blurry vision or just that mental fatigue. So a really easy biohack for this is to wear blue light blocking glasses during the day. And that's where our friends from Felix Gray come in which I am wearing right now. Not that you can see them because you're just listening to my voice, but they're nice because they just look like normal glasses. So if you don't like the crazy amber looking glasses when you're on your work calls or whatever, this is a really great option to protect your eyes during the day. Yeah, I definitely feel a difference and I am wearing my glasses as well right now too. I feel a difference when I do not wear them. Despite my best efforts, I am a a magnet to the sun, but I also have Zoom calls on my computer all day long. So I often can't get the balance of indoor to outdoor light like I want to. And if I'm not wearing my glasses, I do start to feel that fatigue, maybe brain fog, which I think a lot of us jump to. I need more sugar or I need more caffeine. Well, it could just be that your brain is exhausted from staring at blue light. So I think this is a really, really easy biohack that we should all be implementing if you are victim to these modern day stressors, like being in front of your computer, or even if you're on your phone a lot during the day does not hurt to try. And what we love about Felix Gray is that they're making some pretty stylish glasses. I think traditionally, a lot of the blue light blocking companies were not really going for fashion. And I know that's not the most important thing. We just want to block the blue light. But that was a big commitment for a lot of people because you look a little bit different at nighttime. And I know I like to wear mine in the airports and on airplanes. And so I'm just really grateful that we are moving in the direction that we can look like we're just wearing normal glasses or glasses that, you know, fit our face and we have different styles and frames so that we can look stylish, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And they've also gone one step further. They have prescription glasses available. And I remember when this first came out on the market, the blue light blocking glasses, especially like dad, he would wear his like reading glasses, prescription glasses, and then wear his blue light blocking glasses over it. And it's like, we've got to fix this problem. And Felix Gray has done that. And their lenses actually filter 15 times more blue light. So that's really how it's helping our eyes. And you can see true color despite the lens tint, which is pretty cool. Yeah. 
And the tint, it's actually built into the glasses. If you get really cheap ones on Amazon, you'll notice you could actually scratch the color off of it, which is not, hopefully you're not going to sit there and scratch with them, but you could scratch it off. This is built into the lens. So it's a really high quality. And I feel like these are going to just last me forever. They're awesome. Yes. So if you want to check out these awesome glasses, you can head over to felixgrayglassescom slash biohackerbabes. Always easy to remember that, right? Biohackerbabes. Excellent. Let's get back to the show. And why, why would the government mandate that? Well, when that law was written in the 1930s, early 1940s, the reason they required these approved distributors that hold a federal license, the reason they created what's officially known as the three-tier system, I'll tell you how this restricts your choice and why you won't see natural wines in your grocery store. So in the late 1930s, organized crime, because of prohibition, organized crime controlled the flow of most of the alcohol products in the United States, most of it coming out of Canada, illegal whiskey, Al Capone, and and, and, and the mafia. So the government said, we want to make sure that the mafia doesn't control the distribution of, of, of alcohol. So we're going to create this system of distribution that we're going to monitor. Well, today, that's no longer a risk. Today, it's a rigged system between these legacy distributors, right? And, and they're most of them at the state level, they're state legislators that protect them. Now, here's why, you, why, here's why that limits choice for you. Because the distributor, he's not interested in working with a family farm in Europe. He wants to work with this gigantic wine company that makes the inflow of product cheaper and faster and more profitable for everybody. We don't have to work with a whole bunch of different people. We will work with these two or three big giant companies that bring all this product in, right? Easy. Easy. And then, and then they got big advertising budgets because they're huge multi-billion dollar conglomerates that can place magazine ads you know, of in food and wine magazines. And the way this is done is, is super interesting. You know, so in 2004, I give, you, I give you an American classic, one of the great wine countries, stories of all time, one of the great wine families of America and friends of mine. In 2004, Robert Mondavi and the Mondavi family, no doubt you're familiar with Mondavi wines. Sure. Robert Mondavi mm-hmm. actually is on the cover. He's been dead for about a decade now. He's on the cover of Wine Spectator magazine, which is the leading trade magazine for wine in the United States and leading consumer and trade magazine. Robert Mondavi's picture is on the cover of Wine Spectator this month. And the story is the known and the unknown of the great Napa Valley legend, Robert Mondavi. Robert Mondavi created what is known as today more or less the Napa Valley. And so Robert Mondavi in 1966 commissioned a very famous California architect, his name is Cliff May, to design this very iconic, still there today and beautiful, this very iconic tasting room. It was the first sort of one of the first, arguably the first architecturally driven sort of modern tasting rooms that then created what we know today as the Napa Valley, which is filled with architecturally redeeming wineries and tasting rooms. They're really entertainment facilities, right? It's not much wine (laughs) made there. So in 1966, Robert Mondavi, who was this great American leader, I mean, pours wines at the White House. I mean, he's just a legend and created today what we know as the Napa Valley. 
Well, in 2004, fast forward, after he built this ginormous wine company, it gets sold for $1.2 billion in 2004 to one of the top three wine companies in the world, publicly traded company in New York. Hmm. Now, here's how this works. So let's say at the time that Robert Mondavi, which was a pretty big company, was producing about a million cases of wine a year. Still factory wine. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a big wine company. Now, on every bottle appears you, this iconic winery that's in Oakville, California, in the heart of the Napa Valley. Every bottle will, most every bottle has this iconic winery on the front of it, right? But that wine's not made there, right? So <laughs> you buy a storybook it from, picture. You buy it for like a billion dollars. Well, you open up Food and Wine magazine and you'll see a two spread page ad of this beautiful girl and her soon to be husband or boyfriend, you know, wandering, wafing through the vineyard in front of the iconic Robert Mondavi (laughs) winery, right? To suggest that all Mondavi. Well, so this company, they'll buy it and let's say they add another 25 SKUs instead of running a million cases a year, they make 25 million cases a year. But it's this name association with this great American family, right? So then mm. that's how you pay a billion dollars for something. 2004, a billion dollars meant something. Today, it, you know, it seems everybody's got a billion dollars. But, you know, it's like back then, it's like when it really meant something. So you and then you and then you quadruple the, the production, right, by making wines cheaper, you know, with industrial farm fruit or wherever you get your fruit from. Only it's worth noting only five percent of U.S. vineyards are organic, five percent. So ninety-five percent of all wine out there produced in the United States is chemically farmed, and less than one percent is dry farmed. So virtually everything in the United States is irrigated, and there's a whole bunch of problems why that's wrong too. All right, ladies, are you feeling stressed or maybe even like totally overwhelmed by life right now? I know the holidays can get really crazy um, for the men too, but you know, you might find that you have a harder time sleeping this time of year, and maybe even it's hard to lose weight, especially with all those holiday parties we're going to. So if this sounds like you, I want to talk to you about magnesium today. Magnesium is involved in hundreds of different processes in the body, and one of the main things it does is help calm your nervous system so you can feel happy, relaxed, sleep better at night. It also helps us regulate blood sugar and blood pressure, so it plays a really important role in helping our body to be able to burn fat. And for women especially, magnesium plays a huge role in our health all throughout our lives. It can help with PMS. It's important during pregnancy to prevent high blood pressure, and it even helps with menopause symptoms. It's also critical for bone density, which women we really need to pay attention to, especially as we get older. And the scary fact is that up to 80% of women aren't getting enough magnesium. And when you're stressed, you burn through even more magnesium. So it's really this vicious cycle. So that's why Lauren and I are excited to tell you about our friends over at Bioptimizers. They have created an incredible formula called Magnesium Breakthrough that is truly changing the game for magnesium supplements. It's our favorite magnesium product on the market because it's the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement that has seven unique forms of magnesium plus the cofactors and other nutrients needed to enhance the absorption of the magnesium. So if you want to check this out, head over to magbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. That's mag, like M-A-G, breakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. And then at checkout, make sure you use code biohackerbabes10. You'll get 10% off anything that you want. All right, let's get back to the show. So anyway, this is 
the organic kind of, ones are probably contaminated at this point. Well, you think? there have been studies on that. There have been two studies, and this is interesting. There have been two separate studies that have been published. And in fairness, neither were peer-reviewed. They're pretty small studies, but they were done by consumer groups that did glyphosate testing. Glyphosate is the active chemical in Roundup. Roundup is the number one herbicide applied in, U- in U.S. vineyards. You can look at a vineyard and tell if it's been treated with, with Roundup because there's nothing growing beneath the vines. And mm. it has a very dark moonscape. looks like lava. It's super hard, right? Huh. And so of the wines that were tested from five appellations, Napa, Sonoma, Pasarobas, wherever they were, both organic and non-organic wines tested positive for glyphosate. So they speculate, there's been speculation, this is not proven, speculate that the glyphosate got into the wine through irrigation. Because the way glyphosate Mm. or Roundup is applied in a vineyard is very different than, say, in a wheat field. So you also have this problem in wheat, where organic wheat gets contaminated with glyphosate. Because here's, when you apply glyphosate or Roundup to a wheat field, it's done from a drone or a plane, right? Now, usually Mm -hmm. drones, but in the old days, they'd be doing with planes. That creates a huge opportunity for overspray to drift into neighboring organic areas. That's Mm -hmm. not how it's applied in a grape, in in a vineyard. In a vineyard, the apparatus sits very close to the ground. And so it's not flown over. It's sprayed very close to the ground. So you don't have the same risk of massive overspray going into. Uh, this is a reason they speculate is coming through irrigation because, yeah. because you you don't have the same risk of overspray. I know we could go down a couple of wormholes here, but all of these <laughs> things are, you know, if you care about what you put in your body and if you care about how you feel, then you should care about what's in your wine. Right. And yeah. and we could talk for several hours about any of these topics. They're very complicated. Right. They're convoluted. They're all twisted up together. Right. Just yeah. so I give you another example of something that's twisted up in the food space. The term natural is actually kind of a BS marketing term. Right. Natural suggests that somehow it might be organic or clean or helpful or whatever in the food space, but it actually has zero meaning at all. And right. if you see something naturally labeled, naturally flaked, just a red flag on a food product. Run away. That's not true <laughs> on wine. Natural wines have a categoric, specific understanding globally of what a natural wine is. Additive-free, always organic or biodynamically farmed, fermented with wild native yeast. The, the, everybody, there's a universal understanding of what a natural wine is. So natural in a wine healthier, better, pure. Natural in a food, not so much maybe. And then the other thing is very confusing. You know, People go in and they buy organic wine. See, organic wine is not natural wine. It just means it's organically farmed. It could still contain additives, GMO yeast. It could control, you know, it, it, it just means the fruit is farmed organically. It doesn't mean it's a natural wine. You could start with organic grapes, but it doesn't matter what happens after that. It doesn't. Usually, most of the organic 
great wines that we see at, at retail. The other thing is natural wine, because they ferment with wild native yeast and not a genetically modified lab cultured yeast, you can't make natural wine in very large quantities. And so generally speaking, natural wine growers, these small family farms can't get the attention of a distributor because they don't have enough volume. They can't get the attention of Whole Foods because they couldn't supply them, right? I mean, they they don't make enough wine to supply 50 Whole Foods, let alone 500, you know, or how many ever there are, right? So, I mean, they, they just don't make enough wine. And they're, you know, in Austria or central France, you know, I have anybody here to represent them in that way. It's just, right. it's just, there's a lot of reasons why you won't go in the store and find natural wine. Now, that or being at a restaurant said, or a bar. No, that very being difficult said, to find anything that's not American. Right. If you, well, that's because of the distribution system. See, it mm-hmm. favors these large, these large wine conglomerates. And so, typically, you see the same wines over and over and over and over again. Right, because nobody wants to do yep. any extra work, including me. <laughs> so true. Yeah, nobody wants to do any extra work. So we'll just call our friend over here, Mister Wine Conglomerate, or the three friends that are make you know virtually everything, and we'll just deal with them, right? And they can move product at scale. And guess what? At scale, everything gets cheaper. So I can pack a whole bunch of different wines onto a truck in my factory in California and take that to you in Chicago, and it's just cheap. Right. Yeah. That means there's more markup, more markup means more profit. Everybody loves to be rich. Yeah, so it's a business. Anyway. And I don't listen, I choose to make my living in the wine business and we make a fine living and we're happy about it. But not at the expense of the quality of, of our product or the integrity of who we are and what we believe. So I don't think you have to make a choice between having a successful, profitable business and selling people poison. I don't think you have to make that choice. I think you yeah. can say, hey, this is what I stand for. And there's enough people out there who want to stand with me and who oh, want yeah, to support definitely. our business to the extent that we can make a decent living and provide for lots of families and for my family and people we work with. So, we, And there are a lot of other businesses that make that choice. You know, Patagonia is a great ch- example. Or there are a lot of businesses that make choices that, that decide that based on the integrity, generally the founder who just says, you know, this is the rules of play for me. Right. And fortunately I also have surrounded myself with a bunch of other people who feel very strongly about this as well. You know, and so they've helped keep the guidepost in place to, you know, we have very stringent standards and we never deviate from them. Right. And so even if it costs us money, and you can see that across a lot of other industries, right? I mean, the, the beauty industry right now, I mean, there's so many new companies that are doing kind of similar to what you're doing. They're they're holding up their integrity and maybe their products cost more and maybe sometimes their products are out of stock, but they are not going to let their standards drop. And, you know, with our dad being a biological dentist, I mean, gosh, the dental industry, you know, they oh. say, you know, m- mercury in small amounts is okay. But like you said, do we really want any mercury do in I our body? Any even if it's safe? Yeah, in small I don't want to wait 20 years to find out what that's doing to me. <laughs> right. And a safe right. amount might be like a tiny filling where some people have eight fillings and then they're drinking hot coffee and then they're brushing their teeth. Like, you know, they're not thinking about things like that. They're just saying, well, in parts per billion, we know that that's safe. 
So yeah. Every yeah. I think it's really interesting with wine because you could argue with dentistry or the beauty industry or foods. Like I don't always feel the immediate effects of choosing the organic apple, <laughs> but with natural wines, I feel it immediate. It's like a short-term benefit. And I trust there's the some serious poisons in there. I, I can't tell you which ones which ones are making you feel bad, or as, as we said earlier, there's just no research behind it, but there's some pretty nasty additives that don't go into apples. Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I know when I drink a normal commercial wine, I mean, my nose itches right away. I have a headache instantly. I, I have sleep. a headache instantly. Oh, it's I awful. I just can't drink it. Yeah. So, um, so what about you said there? So there's two acute toxins. What What is the purpose of those specifically? Are they preservatives or is it making it cheaper? Uh, one, they're both related to the sterilization of wine. Oh, their sterilization, right, from the bacteria. Right. Okay. So one is used to treat very specific bacterial faults, and the other is used to sterilize the wine and act as a preservative, killing everything alive in the wine, including gut-friendly bacteria. Dr. David Perlmutter, who's probably the foremost recognized authority on the relationship between food and the gut microbiome has written a number of times about the specific healthy bacterias that are found in living natural wines that are not found in commercial wines because they have been sterilized with a large dose of sulfur dioxide, which is one of the two acute toxins identified by the NIH. Uh, the other one I mentioned is the dimethyl dicarbonate, which is used to treat specific bacterial faults in wine. So when you make wine, there's a couple of risks to the winemaker. One is that the wine gets painted with a bacterial fault uh, or a bacteria that creates what are called wine faults. Wine faults are either off-putting aromatics and or off-putting taste in the wine. And it's actually a bacteria. Some bacteria are healthy from you, some are not. Some have a positive impact, some do not. So the most dangerous of these additives, the dimethyl dicarbonate is a particular sterilant that is used to create, solve these bacterial faults. The most common ones known as Brettomyces or just Brett in the wine industry. It's super common. And according to this company who makes this chemical that distributes it to the wine industry, they have used it to treat tens of millions of gallons of wine in California. So I don't, again, you don't know. Now, in fairness to them, let's give you their side of the story. Their side of the story is, well, this toxin, it hydrolyzes into methanol and carbon dioxide. I'm like, well, you know, let's just say that that's true. A, I don't want to be drinking methanol. The methanol is much, much more toxic than ethanol, right? And so carbon dioxide I'm okay with because we're it's all around us all the time. But but as for the methanol, which has a much higher degree of toxicity than ethanol, uh, I'm not interested in drinking hydrolyzed methanol either. So even if this is true, even if this toxic that w- toxin that will kill you, burn your skin, or burn your lungs if you inhale it, right? Even if this toxin does hydrolyze into methanol, I'll skip my hydrolyzed methanol in my dose today too. 
So this is a this would be funny <laughs> if it weren't true. It'd be yeah. cr- it's just so crazy. You, you wonder know, how that, anyone doesn't feel like shit after drinking this stuff. I mean, it's just, yeah. well, the problem is if you could tell what was in it, maybe you start making some choices based on what you want, what, which chemical you were willing to drink. But yeah. since there's not a label to tell you what's in it, you don't have any idea. No so choice. that, ladies, is the story <laughs> of the American wine business. And it's That's wild. It's, Easy. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about Dry Farm, because I think there's some interesting ways that you guys source and grow that maybe are against like popular, I guess, Popular misconceptions in the wine industry, like sulfites or sugar fermentation well, process. Dry Farm Wines, our, our company, and the wines that we drink and sometimes sell, the, the, these wines have a certification that we created. It's the most stringent certification on wine in the world as it relates to purity and health. And so our certification. We sell only lower alcohol wines. So we sell wine between 7% and 12.5%. Average American wines now are hovering around 15%. Most of the wines I drink are between 10 and 11%. I prefer the taste of a lower alcohol wine, and I prefer having lower doses of alcohol over the course of my evening. Now, I'll drink one plus bottles of wine per night. So don't worry, I'm still getting high, although it's lower alcohol. People are like, well, will I get high? Yes, you'll get high. Don't worry. But, you know, but the, but the, the question is, you know, am I cognitive? You know, there's a point when you take high doses of alcohol that you become less cognitive, less responsive, right? Just dumber, right? So I, I don't really want to get there. I just want to get high and have fun and be cute and witty, right? <laughs> That's it. So we only sell lower alcohol wine. That's one part of the certification. All of our wines are lab tested independently by a certified enologist on our behalf. Every single wine we sell, not a single wine goes without testing. We're looking for a number of things in those tests. One is sugar. The only way to know if wine is sugar-free is lab tested because wine can hide, sugar can hide in wine. And I'm, I'm not talking about sweet dessert wines when obviously it has sugar in it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about medium kind of bodied wines that you might drink day in and day out can contain sugar and you won't taste it because the acid level in wine will hide it. It's kind of like when you make lemonade, right? Or if you drank a cola, which has 32 grams of sugar in it, right? You wouldn't be able to drink if it weren't so high in or so asorbic acid, right? Mm-hmm. It'd just be too sweet. Mm. And so this, so you, you can't always taste sugar. Even taste professionals, we can't always taste it, but it'll come back positive in a lab test. See, not in, it's worth mentioning, dry farm wine certification, the baseline is natural wine. We go many bars beyond just being natural wine. And, and so not all natural wines are sugar-free. We reject wine, natural wines all the time for having sugar in them. So just because you're drinking natural wine doesn't mean it's sugar-free. Um, so if you're drinking dry farm wines, it's sugar-free. Now, sugar-free has a very specific legal definition. You, you can't just say there's no wines that are completely zero sugar. They've always got some hint. I mean, some fractional hint. Of, 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 but, but the government has established a standard for what constitutes anything that's sugar-free, right? And so 
So we less than a gram. Well, our wines are less than a gram per liter. Now that means less than 0.15% of a liter at the glass at the serving level. So it's not even measurable. Hmm. Statistically and legally, it's sugar-free. Less than one gram per liter actually is less than one gram in bottle because a bottle is 750 milliliters. It's not even a full liter. So that's our standard, which is way below the government standard of sugar-free. So that is our standard. So then our wines are sugar-free. They're lower in alcohol. They are organically or biodynamically farmed. They are vegan and vegetarian friendly. They are gluten-free. No pig stomach? <laughs> no pig stomach today. Or cow liver. And pancreas. <laughs> On the TTB list, it's called bovine pancreas. Bovine is cow. Mm. So anyway, gluten-free. Non-GMO yeast? Do you want to talk about Non-GMO that? yeast. All part of the certification. There was there was something that was skipping my mouth. Sulfites. Hmm. So we yeah. also measure for sulfites to ensure that sulfur dioxide has not been added because sulfites are naturally occurring. When people say, "Oh, you know, sulfites are making me feel bad," that's probably not true. Right. Sulfites are naturally occurring in any food that's fermented. They're naturally right. occurring in many types of food. But anything that's fermented contains sulfites. Sulfites are generally not what makes people feel bad. Now, let's talk about but they blame sulfites. That. And, let's they talk blame about the sulfites, sulfites. Yeah. and sulfur dioxide. So anyhow, the legal limit for sulfites in the United States is 350 parts per million. Many of these compounds and chemicals are measured in parts per million, parts per thousand, parts per billion. 350 parts per million is the legally allowed cap on sulfite slash sulfur dioxide in the United States. Our average wine tests at 39 parts per million. Those are naturally occurring. And so, and we don't allow anything over 70 parts per million because it's it's been shown that a wine can, although we rarely see it, can be naturally producing up to 70 parts per million. So we have a cap at 70, mm. but our average is 39 parts per million. The U.S. government allows nearly 10 times that amount in your wine. So and sulfur dioxide is an acute poison, an acute toxin. And if you go to the interwebs, as I said, and check anything on Google, if you, if you Google acute toxin, you will find that the definition, as I told you, a single dose or multiple doses over a 24-hour period. And the way I drink, I get multiple doses for sure. And so will cause severe health reactions and or death. So that is the official clinical term for an acute toxin. So anyway, wrapping up, what rapid fire last minute questions do we have? I have a question. How did you get the bold reds, the new bold reds? Because that is my favorite. That has been my favorite of the well, boxes so far. Is it higher alcohol or what's no, the difference? No, no, no. But that, that is a great, great observation because alcohol adds density to wine. And so when you see these big, you know, lauded, big Cabernets and these big pedigreed wines, they're always high in alcohol because alcohol adds bold density to wines. And when you remove alcohol, you remove density. So that being said, no, we just went out and started really searching for, because it was a lot of demand for 
a bigger, bolder wine. So rather than do that with alcohol or the way, the other way that it's done with additives or what's known as extractions in the wine industry, there's a number of ways to get a bigger, bolder wine, but most of them have to do with, with manipulations to the wine. And so we just went out and made a conscious effort to source. There's not a lot of them in the natural wine world. We went out to, with a specific goal of sourcing a, a, a bigger, bolder red because people wanted it. I, personally, I don't drink them. Um, my, my husband was waiting for it. Yeah, he was so yeah. excited. It's very excited. popular among the husbands because they want to drink what they think are like these big California cabs. And they're like, oh, yeah. I want a big wine with my steak. You know, it's like, well, it's the only thing you can drink it with is your steak because yeah. it's so big. Yeah. Right. I drink light reds personally, but, you know, I just eat lighter foods. Uh, I mean, I'm not vegetarian or vegan, but I do eat proteins, but I eat a lot of fish and I like light red. Mm-hmm. We sell and I drink what we classify as fish reds, meaning that they're so light, the alcohol's low and they're, they're so light and the type of grape is so light that you can easily drink this light red wine with, you know, like white fish, you know, or... Yeah. You couldn't drink like a big California cab with a piece of fish. It's just too right. overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for doing that. My nice. husband, my husband's husband very happy. I love it too. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. We love all of your offerings. And I think for both of us, Dry Farm has changed our wine experience and relationship to alcohol. I think it's so beautiful. And we're just so grateful for the integrity that you bring and the education with Ooh, the, the dirty wine industry. So thank you for I know, it's just, it's just so much to cover. It's like to do it in an hour is just really hard because there's, there, you can only touch on just like how crazy it is. Right? Yeah. And, and well, can you share any resources if people want to dig into this a little bit more? Is there a good place to look for it uh, or a good resource we could share? Not terribly. I mean, there, there's, there's a, there is an app. There's a smartphone app if you live in a major city like New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco or Chicago. I mean, there's an app called Raisin. It's a smartphone app. It works much better in Europe, but it it's a map-based locator for natural wine lists, restaurants, bars, retailers. That's still not a dry farm wine certified health pure wine, sure. but you know, in the hierarchy of wines that you should be drinking, A, you know, try to drink organic. That doesn't mean it's natural. It doesn't mean you're sugar-free. It doesn't mean anything else other than it's organic. But that's certainly better than chemical farming. It's better for the better for the earth and certainly better fruit. N- number two, drink natural wine, right? And uh, natural wine, again, is a very specific thing. And you can, if you live in a large city, you can do a Google search for natural wine in your area or download this Raisin app. But again, not I- all... Not yeah, I got raised wine. in the last time we oh, nice. spoke. Nice. And I found one one bar in New York that I went to. It actually really lovely, great wines, very low in alcohol, felt, felt Do you remember okay. what it was called? Don't. I could dig and find yeah. it. But, I'm going yeah. I I'd go to most of them. I'm going to New York tomorrow, assuming I can get out of Florida with a hurricane. Oh, <clears> I hope so. Fingers crossed. <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah, and so natural wine, but then again, all natural wines are not low alcohol, they're not sugar free. Uh, they're not even irrigation free necessarily. Uh, that's that's not a that's not a standard of nat- natural wines. Most natural wines in Europe are irrigation free, but it's not a part of the natural wine standard. But right. with us, it is. 
So again, it, it, it just, depending upon what your level of kind of pursuit is, what kind of, how high up on the purest level you are, you know, how fanatical you are, uh, that, you know, there's a hierarchy. And then if you do find yourself in a restaurant that has European wines, then I tend to, even if I know it's not natural, I'm going to look for cooler regions of central France, like Beaujolais, which grows Gamay as the red, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to look for, I never drink American wines. So if um, nothing on about Americans, it's just that I don't like their wine. Right. <laughs> so, so if I'm, yeah. I, I, if I do order something off of a wine list, I typically order a white or a rosé, typically from France. And then even then, I usually put a little bit of cold spring water in it, bottled water in it to kind of thin it out just a little bit, lower the alcohol, mm-hmm. lower anything else that's in it. And generally, it makes me feel better. So mm-hmm. that's another way Great that advice. you can kind of medi- mitigate if there's a little bit of problem in the wine. If you add water to it, you're just going to dilute whatever's in it, including the alcohol. You know, yeah. if you add too That's much water, it's not going to taste like wine anymore. You know, it's just like you have to kind of tinker with it. But I'll usually drink a white or rosé if I'm drinking out and I don't know the wine or it's not natural because it's going to have less contaminants in it than the red. It's just kind of how it works. And you'll just feel better. In fact, a lot of women, women have a difficult time drinking red wine because of the tyramine and histamines in it. And sure. so in traditional wine, our wines don't do that. Because they're not extracted in the way commercial wines are made. But that being said, so I, at health conferences, we're the official wine for you know, 100 health conferences or something. And, and so, you know, women will come up and they'll say, I, you know, I'll take the white. You know, I'll taste your white. I, I can't drink red. It makes me feel bad. Like, no, have the red. You're going to feel great. Don't worry about it. I mean, this is different, right? Yeah. So you guys drink red wine, you know. I only drink red wine, so. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I do both, but I oh. prefer red. And I'll never forget at the paleo conference when you had the dry farm party. Like I'm usually like a one glass of wine girl. And at that party, I think I had four glasses. Of course you did. Day, I felt great. I was like, yeah. what is that? We had a good time that night. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Well, thank you, Todd, for sharing your time with us. I'm sure you blew a lot of minds today with this fascinating info. Um, before we let you run, can you share one final piece of advice with our audience, something they can start doing today? To optimize their health? Oh, wow. Well, you know, for me, I think the grounding practice is meditation for sure. But I would say the most, this is all health practices, not meditation excluded. I think meditation is great for anybody and everybody. But the second one that I has been one of the most found advancements on my personal wellness and health has been intermittent fasting and extended water fasting. It's been the most profound, but but fasting is very different from person to person than from male to female. So some women don't fast well, some do. It's a hormonal issue. Depends on each person individually. But for me, that was like, other than meditation, I think fasting was the most significant advancement in my wellness. Mm, Wonderful. This is great timing for our audience to hear because we just had Dr. Mindy Pels on to talk about fasting for women. I love Mindy. I've been on Mindy's podcast twice. I also, oh, I also love her. We see each other at podcast. I mean, she's super fasting. Yeah. I'm super into Mindy. Awesome. Yeah. And all right. uh, we actually fasting. are the official wine for Mindy and all they break oh. their fast with our wine, blah, blah, blah. We've done, oh. we've done parties with them. Oh, fast that's breaking great. parties and all kinds of stuff. 
So yeah, very cool. He's a big fan, and I'm a big fan of her. So yes, I'm super faster. I'm like super super high on fasting, but meditation for all, fasting for some. Peace be with you. I love you. Thank you for having me. Thank Thank you you so so much much. for joining us. This is wonderful. Bye. And thanks to everyone that tuned in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.